This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Con Podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Jerkins, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Hello everyone and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 260. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Steph. And this is Ian. We are bringing the latest comic news and comic book reviews from the past three weeks. Uh, this would include October 14th through November 3rd. We have two books as usual to cover. A little bit more uh, Greater Gotham to cover uh, more than normal solicitations. And as promised, we're going to catch up with uh, the listener questions and comments uh, from the last episode as well as uh, from the episode before that that we were unable to get to because, as many of our listeners pointed out, I got a little angry. Um and I know I've, I know uh, I was not the only one, but uh, I, I take full full uh, credit for that, and uh, specifically because I I mean I was angry and I was annoyed, and it it came out. So uh, thank you for coming back to episode two sixty, and I didn't scare you away um, if you're listening to this. So thank you. Um, with that being said, we're going to dive straight into news. And despite the fact that we're covering three weeks of news, there isn't a whole lot to talk about. Uh, the first thing and the only thing we've really got is that solicitations for January released. So uh, th- these solicitations came out on October 15th. And the first things first, the, the missing titles from December, as expected, will release in January, pushing some of the books forward a week since January happens to be a five-week month. What that means for a majority of the fans is that January is going to be a very expensive month with some titles shipping twice that normally don't even have some titles that and some that will release with three issues in a single month. Um, there also is some new annuals planned. Uh, this could also explain why Harley Quinn and Nightwing, which were previously on a double ship schedule, only have one issue in January. But no official announcement has been made about those only staying to one issue a month. So I'm guessing, this is my assumption, is that they just brought those down to one per month because there were so many other books happening in January. Uh, specifically, like Detective Comics is getting three issues in the month of January. Now, obviously, it is an expensive month outside of the fact that there's this extra week of books in the month. But if you if you lump December and January together, you're going to get the same amount of books as usual, just the excess annuals and stuff that are coming out at the end of January. Not sure exactly why they chose to still do annuals, but they did. Anyway, um, on to some of the news. 
yeah, I know it's all about the money. Um, on to some of the new stuff for the month, as we've talked about before, Brian Michael Bendis is, is launching his new imprint, Wonder Comics, with Young Justice number one. Tim Drake's Robin will be at the center of this Young Justice title, a decision that offers the character some deserved attention in the wake of Titan's publicity for two of his fellow Robins. Uh, Drake will be joined by Amethyst, Superboy, Wonder Girl, Impulse as his teammates, a change of pace from the Young Justice team fans of the show have become familiar with. Each of the members will be featured on their own variant covers as well. The conclusion of Batman Creature of the Night has finally been resolicited after the previous issue released all the way back in April earlier this year. And while that series is coming to an end, as expected, Suicide Squad has been announced to be ending with January's issue, which also happens to be its oversized 50th issue. Also, Archie meets Batman 66 and Batman Kings of Fear both wrap up their miniseries in January as well. Um, no surprise with Suicide Squad, the numbers have, have gone down and there's been rumors that Brian Azzarello is going to be coming on to Suicide Squad. I'm guessing they're just going to relaunch Suicide Squad with a new number one. Potentially, probably, most likely, with a brand new roster. I foresee that book staying at a one per month if it does, in fact, come back. So, um, Batman 38 puts Bruce Wayne up against a nightmare with a personal flair. Detective Comics number 995 catches up, catches up with Batman as he deals with a devastating attack on Alfred from the previous issue. The Gordons get political in Batgirl number 30, which with conflicts coming to a head in the Gotham congressional race. As longtime fans know, you can't judge a book by its cover, especially if you are expecting to see what is happening on the cover of the actual issue. But Damien and Red Hood are facing off on the cover of Teen Titans Annual number one, while Harley Quinn looks to have murdered someone in Harley number 57. As far as creator changes for the Bat books, Batman sees Travis Moore return to the title to bring the murderous young Bruce character back, and Elena Casagrande will provide some of the art for this month's issue of Catwoman while Gary Brown comes on board to Nightwing, uh, presumably being the third artist in the rotation for Nightwing. They're not rotating uh, anymore. They're just putting people on books. <laughs> your, your, your pessimism is already killing this cast, man. Sorry. Um, I'm just, this is my biggest thing about the double shipping is it is killing the artist teams. I don't know that it's entirely killing. I think it, if there's a purpose for it, then there's, there's no rot and there's no problem. Travis Moore is also doing Batman. He's the other artist that is currently attached to Nightwing. So that might be why Gary Brown's coming on for that, for that title, at least for the, for the one issue or whatever. Um, the other part of it is there has been plenty of creative teams that have, that have floundered with the double shipping titles. But I think that there are some out there that have actually been okay. Um, if you look at Batman minus the, the times where they're telling a story and they have to do these like random one issues, one issue implants, um, in the middle of the story, like the kite man stuff during war of jokes and riddles. Uh, and I say this because that was all clay Ma or, uh, Kel Janin, but they had those one-off issues with kite man and it was done by clay man, if I remember correctly. So they, there's, there's, and then there, we also have seen some titles where they do these things, like we just saw in Batman, where we see a story being told from two different perspectives and two different artists are doing it too. I'm not going to sit here, like, don't get me wrong. There have been plenty of situations with the double shipping titles where it has not worked very well. Um, but I think that some of the titles, they have 
at least tried to put a focus on keeping certain teams. Like when James Tynion was on Detective Comics, they actually tried to have a cohesive, you know, going back and forth with the artist. So I wouldn't go all out and say that it's just utter crap with the double shipping titles because it's, I don't think it is. Um, and honestly, there's certain titles where it doesn't really seem to affect because they get two artists that have a very similar style. So that's my uh, optimism for this episode, I guess. Harley Quinn remains front and center in Heroes in Crisis number four as Wonder Woman struggles to make sense of Booster Gold's possible betrayal. Doomsday Clock number nine's cover features members of the DC Universe disappearing at the hands of Dr. Manhattan. Besides Teen Titans, Just League will also be gained an annual for January, uh, as far as the ones we covered here on the, the website. Uh, finally, there are a couple of other appearances from TBU characters as Batman will be appearing in Damage number 13, while over in Deathstroke, Slade continues his story in Arkham Asylum. The Teen Titans will appear in the one-shot Mysteries of Love in Space, number one, the anthology-style book will focus on brief love stories featuring both new and familiar DC characters just in time for Valentine's Day. Uh, if you are looking for the full list of all of the books that are releasing in the month of January, we have the huge list over on the site. It, it is in, I'm not exaggerating when I say it's a much larger list than normal, um, and it's, it's mostly because there are books that are going to be getting two issues like Batgirl, Batman Beyond... These are, these issues don't, these series don't normally get two in a month, but they are. Um, so there's the entire list. There's also a cover gallery if you want to check out some of the covers that's available on the site as well. So be sure to check that out. Um, as, like I said, outside of that, there isn't any other news. We did have last week in the back cave two of the three weeks. So be sure to check out last week in the back cave done by Jessica. Um, that is back on hiatus, but it will be returning probably most likely after the holidays. Um, Jessica's wrapping up her stuff with school and things like that, so that's why it's currently on hiatus, but rest assured it will be coming back, and I also am rest assured that TBU by the numbers, because I know there's a good chunk of people who enjoy that, those articles as well, that will be returning as well after she completes everything she needs to for school. So with that, that is all of our news. We're going to dive straight into our comic book reviews, and the very first one we've got is Batman number 57. <laughs> Batman number 57, written by Tom King, art by Tony Daniel. When KG Beast was just a little boy, uh, nicknamed Tolia, his father, when he wasn't drunk, would read him a folktale of a group of animals going to St. Petersburg. In the present, Batman approaches the tiny hut in Siberia where KG Beast has just killed his own father to exact vengeance for the attempted assassination of Nightwing. Batman dodges Beast's shots through the door, but catches a bullet in his right shoulder. In the folktale, all of the animals fall into a pit. With a gun out of bullets, KG Beast and Batman charge at each other. The animals in the pit begin eating each other. Batman and KG Beast brutally beat and tear each other outside in the snow. The fox tricks the last remaining animal into killing itself, then eats them. KG Beast gains the upper hand, but just as he's about to kill Batman, a snap shot with a grapnel gun snaps his neck. The seasons pass, and no one ever knew if the fox climbed out of the pit after eating all of the other animals. KG Beast tries to bargain with Batman. He promises to tell him who, killed, who hired him to kill Nightwing if Batman gets help. Declaring that he's the world's greatest detective, Batman leaves, telling the Beast to get his own help. In the past... Thomas Wayne finishes reading The Animals in the Pit to Bruce 
saying that he doesn't know why he loves that macabre tale. He stands up to leave, but Bruce says he doesn't want to be alone, and Thomas sits back down, smiling, saying he'll stay for a little while, then he has to go. So, I, um, I just have two questions for this story. The first is, what did you think of the resolution to this conflict between Batman and KG Beast? Um, I, when I was writing the review, I'd still hadn't talked to everyone because, you know, I write these in advance and so people didn't know. But there was a lot of conversation after this came out about Batman breaking KG Beast's neck. And I thought it was a very dark thing. Batman doesn't usually leave someone basically to die, but it was pointed out that he did the exact same thing. He left KG Beast to die the first time he fought him. I think it was 10 Nights of the Beast in the late 80s. Correct. Yep. And so do you think that this is just like a retelling? Because, you know, King is already retelling Nightfall in many ways when he's dealing with uh, Bane. But... Do you think King is just retelling the Beast's origin story, his first conflict with Batman, or is he also trying to show that Batman is in a darker place because of the loss of Catwoman and the shooting of Nightwing? I think it's a combination of both. Um, I mean, there's no reason he could have, or he, there's no reason Batman needed to leave him the way he was in that position. If for all, for no other reason except for the fact that it harkens back to that original KGB story with Ten Knights of the Beast. Um, so th- I'm guessing that's partially why. Um, going over the top of breaking his neck, that seems a little bit farther than they probably needed to go. There's no reason he could have just incapacitated him and left him sitting there and said, figure it out. Um, because that would have been just as fine as the original story from the 80s. But as far as the darkness, like you were saying, you know, is this to show that he is a little bit, he's taking a little bit more extremes because of the emotional state that he's currently in. And I think that is the reason. Um, even if you didn't know, I'll be honest, when I read this issue, I was thinking about the 10 Nights of the Beast story. But at the same time, I did think that him just leaving him there was a little bit too far mostly because of the ridiculousness of the buildup of how far this cabin was away from everything. 300 kilometers. <laughs> yeah. I, I I don't want to... I feel like we've already talked yeah. about that in the last episode, <laughs> so I don't want to go back to that. But the thing is, like, that part of it seems a little extreme. It's one thing, like, locking somebody in, 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 a, in, in a room where they can't get out. They could figure out a way, but he's literally just incapacitated, stuck in the snow. He could freeze to death. Um, I do, I did, I did see that, um, Tom King did an interview with a podcast and he specifically said he's going to bring KGB back before he's done with his run on Batman. Um, so the intent is that he will return at some other point. So it's not as if he's going to die or he comes back, I guess, in flashback form. I'm sure he's not going to die one way or the other. I don't know how they're going to explain that, but hey, it happens. They won't explain world, it. So yeah, exactly. So, um, I mean, the biggest thing is, I thought it was a little too far for Batman. I understand that what Tom King is trying to do right now, him trying to make Bruce into this. I am in the worst emotional state possible. I've had my heart ripped out for me. I've had my uh, my 
adopted son basically shot in the head and he could have died. Regardless of my feelings, like I mentioned in the last episode about the immediacy of going after KG Beast compared to staying with Dick, outside of all of that, it does seem like it's just a little bit dark, but I understand that that is what King is trying to accomplish with this. It'd be a completely different story if the intent was not that, you know, if this was a normal situation where Nightwing wasn't shot in the head and he's just going after KG Beast and he does this, I would say, yeah, it's, it's, it's too dark. But given what the emotional state that Tom King is clearly trying to accomplish here, it is, there's a reason why it's happening like this and it's because he, all this stuff is, is, is happening to him. Yeah, I, I don't have too much to add to that. I absolutely agree. I was thinking about, you know, because it did bother me. The first time I read it, like, I wasn't even thinking about the original KJB story. So it really did bother me a lot. And then, you know, my second read through, I was like, wait a minute. Not only is this in character, it's 100% in character. And he did the exact same thing to the exact same guy. So, yeah. It's, and it, yeah, I, yeah, I don't have, I agree with that, <laughs> what you said. So the second question I have is, well, how did you feel about it? Yeah, how did you feel? Oh, um, sorry, I thought I sort of said it. Um, I I agree. I think that we're supposed to be unsettled. I don't mm. think that Batman's normal way to act is to break people's necks. That is, you know, that's normally a fatal injury. It's <laughs> so it was clearly not a fatal injury here, but leaving someone helpless three hundred kilometers from literally anything else is kind of a death sentence. So I think we're supposed to to be taken aback, to be sort of unsettled and upset. And I think it's because King wants us to to feel Batman's pain, to feel that Batman's not right. He's not in a place where he's able to be the best Batman that he can be. Okay. Uh, so my second question is about this folktale. Um, I originally thought that the folktale was completely made up because it, it totally sounds like the kind of nihilistic fairy tale that Tom King would would make up. But I I found out, I mean, Tom King actually had the letterer write the translator of the Russian folktale. And so I used that information. And it's a real folktale. And it's basically exactly what happens here. I think that the story is relevant. I, I like the way that it's connected to both KGBs and Batman in terms of their fathers reading to the the story to them both as children. And I think that the illustrations by Mark Buckingham, who's most famous for doing fables with Bill Willingham, are, are quite good. But it's my opinion, it's my reading, that this fable, how much space this fable takes place, takes up in this issue, is because Tony Daniel... Um, had to do three the issues in a row. Were, uh, Sorry, what? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think yes. this was a fill-in thing. Time. And Tom King used an intelligent choice of having this fairy tale and connecting it thematically with fathers and sons. But I think that the real meaning of the story and how it relates to the current conflict is just the last part where the fox ends alone. I don't think we're really meant to think that Batman killed his own family. Like, the fox kills all the other animals. I mean, KG Beast... KG Beast's father killed his family, and then KG Beast killed... No, 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 actually, KG Beast did kill his own family when he grew up. 
So you could maybe see the fox as being cagey beast, but it's clearly not Batman. I think that trying to read the fox as Batman in killing his own family is not a useful or helpful way to read the story. But I do think that the fox being alone in the pit is one of Bruce's greatest fears, and it's where he feels he is now. So I think that was effective, but it takes up so much more space than that. I don't think that we needed, I think it's like four or five pages full of this story. Uh, what was your reaction? How did you feel about how much space this took up in the story? So as from the perspective of the story, I think it took up probably more space than it needed to. Um, I, I understood the connection. I got the connection and I didn't have an issue with it, but I could, I, I mean, but the entire time I was reading it, the pessimistic side of my brain was like, well, I guess T- Tony Daniel couldn't finish <laughs> the work that he, you know, the script that he had and they had to figure out some way of making this work. And because Batman's, you know, one of the top selling, if not the top selling book at any given time, there needs to be a rhyme or reason to have another artist come on. I mean, I've seen other, I've seen other books, not, not necessarily ones that we talk about here, like Detective or, or Batman, but I've seen other books where there's a random sequence where it's taking place in a different area. It's not like with the main group that they're focusing on. And then suddenly that's a different artist, or I've seen a flashback be a different artist, or I've seen a sequence in the middle of the story just be a different artist because it's taking place outside of the main story. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that if that's the intent of the story, and there's a reason to do it. If they're just doing it for the sake of an artist not being able to complete the work, then I don't I don't like that. This doesn't, this comes across as Tony Daniel didn't have the ability to do it or he, or he was already behind when this one was being, you know, before this one came up and Tom King went and was like, okay, let me figure out a way to like take a couple pages out of here. I don't have a problem with the usage of the story. Um, and honestly, the art is amazing. I mean, like fables was an amazing artistic series so I, you know, from that perspective, this looks awesome. Yeah, um, it's gorgeous. So there's nothing, there's nothing about that that I have a problem with. And it's not that I don't like the fact that I'm seeing this art instead of Tony Daniel, because that's not the case either. I think it looks great. Um, it really just comes down to, there's a lot of, there, there's not a lot that happens in this issue. I mean, Batman <laughs> and KG Beast fight in the yeah. snow and they just fight. And Writing my summary, I was like, wow, this is not a whole lot happening. Yeah, I mean, and then the thing is, like, you've got this fable intertwined a little bit with this w- 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 within the issue, but the thing is, like, there's not a whole lot that happens, and a lot of the dialogue is really that's really that fable, and that's the thing. Like, you know, we've talked about in the past how Tom King has this tendency to use like narration from something else, like whether it be the letters. We've seen that a couple different times where the letters letters are narrating something as events in the present are actually occurring. And I felt like this is just another form of doing it, just with the fable instead. Um, and I could again, see the fable being over without being illustrated. Like, you know, just uh, just word balloons over the fight oh, scenes yeah. if Tony Daniel yeah. had had time. Or, and then just reference in, at some point, like, what the actual book is rather than actually having these illustrations. So, I mean, like... I guess, like, ultimately, do I have a problem with it? No, I really don't. I mean, like, it looks great. It fits within the the method of what they're trying to accomplish. Um, if anything, it just it 
it, it bothers me not so much about the issue, but the fact that artists like Tony Daniel can't just do three issues in a row. Um, even with plenty of time in between. I mean, like, let's be honest, he hasn't done anything since before the wedding. So there's no reason he couldn't have done three issues. So that's, that's my concern. It's not like he was doing other projects from the last time he was on Batman, um, outside of maybe some covers here or there. So like, that's, that's the thing that I have a problem with is it just, it's cementing this idea that artists that are especially brought in to be like marquee names like David Finch and Tony Daniel. They can't stay on a book for a long period of time because they just can't keep up. And it's like, that's, that's something that's very different than 10 years ago where artists were expected to keep up and you didn't really run into that many issues with the art, not being the same artist consistently. I I don't want to cut off, Steph's reaction, because I do want to hear what Steph thinks, but I, I want to say, this is what I'm talking about in terms of the, the double shipping. Um, I know that Tony Daniel theoretically has had enough time to do three full issues, but I think if you look at the DC Nation schedule for how the wedding was done, they they finished the script on that um, just barely in time for Mikhail Janin to do the normal pages. Um uh, Mikhail Jana did 18 out of, I think, like 38 pages of that. And it's my impression that Tom King isn't writing significantly in advance of the storyline. So there's but really see, not enough that, that, time. But the thing, the problem is that if that's true and that's the case, then that's a bigger problem than just the artist, the art being affected. It, it has to no, do with absolutely. why they aren't need to- the editors getting on time? I mean, here's the thing. You look back at the beginning of the New 52 when Scott Snyder was on Batman. That was only once a month, and he was also attached to Swamp Thing. Eventually, he was also at the time <clears throat> working on American Vampire, and I think Witches was right around the corner in be- near the beginning or something like that. Or maybe Swamp Thing ended, but then he started Witches over at Image. But the thing is, like, he had to drop off of Swamp Thing because he had projects that were working. And American Vampire hasn't come out for years because of the stuff that he's been. And the thing is, like, it's one of those things where Tom King is currently working on Heroes in Crisis. He's got, well, Mr. Miracle's wrapping up, but we know he's working on something else because he has said online that he's working on another project that's not going to come out till sometime next year. But then, and he's working on Batman. And Batman is two issues per month. Heroes in Crisis is supposed to be every month. Mr. Miracle was also supposed to be every month. That's four issues a month. I don't know that he's capable of mm. keeping up with that kind of schedule. And that's the thing. Like, Not very many writers are, honestly. Yeah. I mean, they're, I mean, unless they're churning out stuff that's just, you know, not, not, in, not, it doesn't have an impact, meaning that, like, that's not Tom you know, King. Just, Tom King puts yeah, a lot and that's of not Tom King. He puts a lot of mm-hmm. himself in everything that he writes, even if yeah. you don't agree with it. You can tell that he is putting effort into what he's doing. And the thing is, like, if I was DC, it, oh, and let's not forget, he's also doing the uh, Superman Giant right now, too. Oh, not yeah, that that's, that's five a issues. a full issue, but that's five different books per month that he's currently on. That's way too many books for a guy who's selling, you know, the, the number of books that he is. I mean, like, as a writer... If I was him, I would be probably saying maybe I shouldn't be doing as many things as I am. And that's the thing. Like, I feel like some writers, when they're hot, they know they're hot and they're going to try to do more than they probably should. 
but I feel like some of this stuff is taking a toll. And if the art isn't being able to be completed because he's not getting the scripts done in enough time, that's a problem that the editors need to step back and say, well, maybe if you're going to do Mr. Miracle, maybe we do it as like uh, six issues and then we take a break in between to make sure that there's time to catch up with everything else. They should have done and that anyway. We, right. So I don't know. I, I mean, it just it also comes down to how DC's so hesitant about breaking up certain aspects of the way things release. Not that I'm completely in agreement with, you know, taking a 12 issue mini series or maxi series and then saying, you know, we're going to release the first six and then you're going to wait six months before you get the next six. I'm not necessarily saying that you sh they should do that, but Mr. Miracle is not something that's like affecting everything mm -hmm. else. Batman is affecting. Heroes in yeah, Crisis Batman is affecting. Is you got to get that stuff out in order for it to be making sense with everything else. So, Okay, so Steph, <laughs> what do you feel about the folktale section? I enjoyed them as much as because there was so little dialogue. There, there was no dialogue. Um, <laughs> in, <laughs> just grunts. Just grunts and laughing in the, in the main story that it was nice to kind of get, I don't know, some intellectualization <laughs> um, scattered in there. So there was something to read. Um, I did say my, my husband actually turned to me for a second and he was like, do you enjoy reading this just as the poor little piggy, the poor little Disney woodland creature was eating his own entrails. And I was like, not right now. I'm not. <laughs> so that was too true. I actually couldn't believe with all the hubbub that the, that the, not to bring up the, you know, the Bedouang again, but, um, <laughs> the, the, you know, the, the maturely rated, you know, bat exposure, you know, got. And then this poor little piggy in the main story with no mature rating on it is eating his own guts and there was no publicity about it whatsoever. I was actually a little shocked about that. <laughs> but, um, no, I enjoyed it. I mean, I love folk tales. I have a whole, I have original German and English, you know, grim fairy tales in my house because, you know, poo-poo Disney for ruining fairy tales. But um, <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. And actually, as you were talking and summarizing the story again, I actually was thinking this is more reflecting what was happening with the two men rather than um, just like, just Bruce Wayne, like, killing his family. Like, I think it's more like what 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 is happening to Bruce as he's descending into darkness, as we might say, like... Um, you might think that Bane is the fox, maybe? maybe. But I could see some... I mean, maybe not like a one-on-one -on -one allegory, right. but like symbolo symbolically, yeah. there's like a connection. Because, you know, the story begins with the, the all the animals going to St. Petersburg to pray at the church. Um, yeah. And they never make it. They fall into the pit and... and you know, you say you don't you don't know the, Going to the church. you don't know the true measure of a man until he's been squeezed. And so these animals are all in this pit and they're being squeezed by desperation. And and so what do they do? Well, they eat the weakest first. And the, the, what what's left isn't the strongest; it's the smartest. So you know, you wonder or the most cruel. or the most cruel, right? So you know, wonder in the end, will Batman survive by becoming the cleverest or the most cruel or or whatever? Uh, um, that oh, I like it. I like your <laughs> analysis here. That's good. Uh, well, that's that's all I had on on Batman. Um, I thought it, it's a, uh, I mean, it's 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 an issue that I think shows the the constraints of a twice a month top tier series with all the pressures that incurs. But I, I mean, this is this is making me think. It's making me have emotional reactions. So I'm I'm still really engaged in what's going on in Tom King's Batman. 
as much as I like don't like where Batman's going as like a person. <laughs> um, yeah, the <this>, the story <laughs> is definitely definitely interesting. Yeah, I'm Tom Crean. Well, and I think that it's always important to say I don't think we're supposed yeah. to like it. Yeah, yeah, because there's only so much you can write about a wonderful, infallible, happy-go-lucky guy. It's like there's only so many stories you can tell, and only so many interesting stories you can tell. Well, I don't know. I think Superman's great. But I wasn't, Superman, I Superman wasn't gonna say Batman. it. I wasn't gonna say it. <laughs> <You> said, <laughs> I did. I did. Um, I, I, I do want to bring this up because I feel like uh, it needs to be brought up. Oh. Uh, mm-hmm. Steph, I know that uh, I, I, you, you did the research for <laughs> our main compl- one of our major complaints, and like, I, I, it would not be fair to our listeners if you didn't share your okay. research with oh, our listeners. Man. Let me pull up Discord here. So, so I just a tiny little background. I, I have an ME degree, a, ma- a mechanical engineering uh, degree. And so, you know, the numbers fascinate me and the logic fascinates me. So I did a little tiny bit of research. Um, so three bat planes went down and were non-functioning. In order for that to happen, we assume Batman, being having the best of the best, has military-grade fuel in his bat plane, which I looked up freezes at about negative uh, 60 degrees Celsius. Uh, my husband is an EE, and he told me that electronics would – Completely stopped functioning at about negative 40 degrees Celsius. Um, I did a research on Wim Hof, who is fascinating, and you should all look up Wim Hof. He's the weirdest guy, but he's so interesting. And he holds the world record for withstanding the lowest temperatures. I think he climbed Mount Kilimanjaro in his boxers and I think no <laughs> socks. And he, that was, I, th- I think that was two days in negative 20 degrees Celsius. And he was fine. <laughs> So if Batman has enough lining, you know, he'll make it. Uh, we're going to assume, even though they don't really say it, we're going to assume that this guy is in Serbia because he's in the middle of nowhere, 300 kilometers from anything, and it's unpenetrable winter weather. So let's assume Serbia. Do you mean Siberia? Siberia, that's what I said. Siberia, that's what I said. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> um, it would be about negative 25 average for, like, winter, and then the... The coldest temperatures recorded are negative 67 degrees Celsius. And the human body will start receiving frostbite and will pretty much die in minutes um, at negative 40. So Batman's a dead man. There's no way. There's no way he can walk through... And for those of you, for those of you out there who don't, uh, who don't know Celsius, because I know a lot of people do go off of Celsius outside of the U.S., inside the U.S., Fahrenheit is obviously what we mostly go by, but just to put that in perspective, negative 60 Celsius is negative 76 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, negative 40, so negative 60 was what, what Steph was saying would be the coldest temperature, um, yeah. temperature of the fuel. Oh, and the yeah, fuel, yeah. For the fuel. Yeah. And that would, be, yeah, so that was, that would be negative 76. Negative 40, which is the electronics failing, is actually just translates to negative 40 in Fahrenheit as well. Um, and then the, gentleman that she was referring to who climbed Kilimanjaro, that was negative four degrees Fahrenheit. So, yes. And then, you know, put it in perspective when you compare it to Siberia's um, uh, temperatures. Yeah, it there's there's some fallacies to the science behind this. Let's just say that. <laughs> and the weird part is, you know, I, I distinctly remember at different s- scenarios 
Tom King and Scott Snyder both talking in this conversation on Twitter one time about how they call, they have people that they call to make sure that their science is sound. I know Tom, I know Tom King has brought this up about medical stuff before how he like called a doctor's office and was asking questions to a doctor and they're like, what is this for? And he's like, I'm writing a comic book. And they're like, Oh, okay, cool. Whatever. <laughs> you want, man. And, but like th- he clearly didn't contact somebody about this because <laughs> this is, th- this is just ridiculousness. Like when it comes to the, the science, but I, I thought Steph's uh, facts that she shared with me, Ian and I were amazing. <laughs> so I figured yeah, it was good needed to share them with you guys. So, all right. Okay. That being said, um, Batman, I'm going to give a total of three out of five. Three out of five. I think I gave it a three out of five. Yes, you did. The art is amazing and is probably about 2.5 of my three <laughs> um, because there's just so little story. But yeah, three, three sounds fair. It's, it was above average. It's a bit of average. All right. So Batman number 57 is going to get a total of three out of five. Bad ranks. Let's move into our next book, Detective Comics. Detective Comics number 991, written by James Robinson. Art by Carmine D. Jean Domingo. Good luck. I apologize. Good um, all right. So at the round table, Batman asks Two-Face if they are about to fight. Two-Face says it would be futile. They both know what the outcome would be. He tells Batman to come outside where the air is fresher and he can answer Batman's questions. Batman does not need to ask many questions because after this entire ordeal, he figured out who has what's been going on. Batman knows Two-Face killed Carl Twist, who was the terror strategist known as Harold Frank. He was directly linked to Harvey Dent before he was transformed into Two-Face. Batman asks him what he gets out of this entire situation. Two-Face states Bruce has a has a bad first assumption. Two-Face did not kill Carl Twist. Batman states that there were two different bullets, guns, and fireflies. This all points to Two-Face. Right before Two-Face shares who killed Twist, Gordon bursts into the room. Two-Face, now flabbergasted, jumps off the side of the building because Batman lied about coming there alone. Batman politely tells Gordon he'll be right back and he retrieves Two-Face. Two-Face continues where he left off. He did not kill Twist. Harvey did. Harvey killed Twist because he was the one man he could not convict when he was the district attorney. Two-Face created a cover-up so that he, Two-Face, can be the bad guy. Harvey must be good and he must be bad. And if that's not the case, then all of this, including his existence, is meaningless. There must be a level playing field in this situation. He saved Gordon and the GCPD during Cobra's attack because this fight was instigated by Harvey. All Two-Face was doing was making sure Harvey's ledger was in the black. Batman states, even though Two-Face has tried to stop and reverse any actions Harvey started, Cobra is still out there. Cobra saw Carl Twist's plans, and they will follow through with them. Gordon tells Batman and Two-Face that he that the captured Cobra soldiers all had neural bombs implanted in their skulls. All but one went off, leaving one mentally capable Cobra soldier to interrogate. This prisoner tells Harvey Bullock that Cobra has kept to the shadows for too long. Their numbers are waning, and many, many of their acolytes are defecting for Leviathan. They need to remind the world of their power and strength. Who are Corba's greatest fears? Checkmate. But hey, checkmate is no more. However, Batman, if they waged war on Batman and defeated him, Cobra will be glorious once again. After saying this, his bomb went off and he dies. Gordon asks Two-Face if there are any more information about Cobra and their intentions that he could share with them. Two-Face tells Gordon and Batman that that Cobra is planning on hitting five locations within Gotham. With that, Two-Face grabs a map of where they are planning to hit and he and Batman leave in the Batmobile to stop them. 
leaving us with a crazy final oh page gosh. of Two Face standing oh in the Batmobile with guns ablazing. Okay. Obviously, we're not enjoying the story arc. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sit here and 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 try to come up with a bunch of ridiculousness to talk about um, when it comes to trying to enjoy this storyline. I will say this, and this is the one. I, I literally only have one thing to talk about here, and it's this: the entire idea of Two Face coming to the conclusion that Harvey is doing bad things, and that Two Face has to kind of counteract those bad things by doing good things, is actually slightly interesting to me. Um, and I say this because it does like the way it's explained, it, it, it does make sense. The entire idea of having a dual personality and having one good, one good side and one bad side and having the bad side start doing, or the good side start doing bad things. Of course, the other side is going to have to try to counteract that stuff. And that idea is actually a really interesting thing. Um, I, I can't say that I remember this happening in any other story. I mean, it's basically Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Well, well, yes, but I mean, like, I'm talking about any other Two-Face story. Oh, um, okay. But, like, the idea of, like, Two-Face having to be the good personality because Harvey's doing something that's that would be normally classified as bad or something that Two-Face, the Two-Face personality would actually do is actually kind of intriguing to me because it's not something we typically see um, I have always really enjoyed the Two-Face stories that in, that that deal with Harvey kind of like overcoming the Two-Face personality and kind of like being better. Like, I know a lot of people don't like One Year Later, but the One Year Later version of Two-Face is something that I thought was really enjoyable. Um, so in, in that regard, this, this idea I thought was a cool idea. As much as I'm not enjoying the story and as much as I'm not enjoying what we're getting from James Robinson – this idea of Two-Face was actually kind of interesting. What did you guys think? Well, it definitely redeemed what was starting to be like, it's almost like he spun a roulette wheel for the main bad guy and just randomly picked Two-Face. <laughs> like this, this storyline for me at least redeemed that, that, okay, there's a reason why it's Two-Face and it's actually, like you said, it is interesting what his reasoning is. Cause I've always appreciated Harvey for, for almost, cause, cause you know, you always think of Harvey and Two-Face being two different people because harvey was so afraid of his dark side he segregated it from himself and and he almost create you know creating two-face himself that's how i've always sort of interpreted two-face and so this is again like you said it's very very interesting that that harvey's the one making the bad decisions now and and so two-face is having to clean up the mess which at least that part is interesting to read while you're trying to make it through this whatever this is (laughs) story but yeah so yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, I think I've made my reactions to this fill-in arc of Detective Comments clear, but this was actually the, the issue that I enjoyed the most. I think I enjoyed the first issue okay, but this issue I actually... My brain was engaged instead of just being like, oh, when is it over? Um, I think that a lot of it is because Carmine D. Giamenico is really a top tier. He's an A-list artist. He was on Flash for a really long time. He did some great stuff with Greg Rucka on Punisher. And you can really tell the difference between someone who's used to A-level regular work, someone who's used to being the face of a beloved franchise, and uh, the fill-in artist. Like, I think uh, I think it was Steven Stegovia was doing the art before. Yeah. Um, and he was good. I'm not saying he's not good at all, but Carmine 
is just next level. I would love to see this guy on a regular Batman book because it is just so dramatic and appealing and dark. It's just great art. And I think that really lifted the story beyond what is basically just a couple guys talking <laughs> for most of the issue. I like that Batman wasn't talking quite as much because that's, I don't know who, who he thinks he's been writing, but Batman's been way too chatty in the last few. Chatty Cathy. And just one-liners that weren't, they're not funny. They're not dramatic. They're just, he's just talking <laughs> for no reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like I said, that's literally the only thing I've got because I don't want to spend too much time. I mean, let's be honest here. We still have two more issues to go before this story wraps up, which is, <laughs> oh, man, it's, oh, boy. it's not a great feeling. <laughs> let's just put it that way. Um, so yeah, um, that's all I'm going to say. Cause honestly, I'd rather get into our discussion of the listener comments and things like that. So I'm not going to waste any more time on something that I'm not really enjoying. I'm going to give this yeah. a total of two out of five. 2.5. I l- really love the art. And so, yeah, 2.5. I'm giving it a 2.5 purely <laughs> on the art. Yeah, and I just want to make art. sure, you know, the thing is, I, I think that in the past, listeners have accused me of trying to skim over some things. If there is somebody out there who's reading Detective Comics and you're really enjoying it and you feel like I'm not giving it its due... By all means, send me a, send us a comment either on the, you know, through email, tvu at thebadmeaverse.net or post a comment on the site or tweet, whatever you want to do to get in contact with us. But I would like to hear because uh, generally speaking, I am not interested in this. I mean, like, I like Two-Face. Two-Face is a character I mm-hmm. do enjoy, but this is just not interesting to me. Um, and he's a and- great villain, but. Not really here. And quite honestly, on over on our Discord, the vast majority of everybody who's talking about Detective Comics is saying that they're not enjoying it either. There are people who are saying they're enjoying the art, especially with this issue. But when it comes to the story, I don't really know a whole lot of people who are liking other than some random websites out there that are giving it like insanely good ratings for just for because they're insane. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I. I encourage you, if you are actually really liking what's going on here in Detective Comics, please let us know, because I honestly don't think there is anybody out there who is enjoying it that much. Um, so that being said, I'm uh, Tony over on the site gave it two and a half as well, so that's going to give Detective Comics a total of two and a half out of five batterings. That is all of our in-depth reviews. Let's head over to the site for Greater Gotham. First up, October 17th, main TBU books. We already talked about Batman number 57. Nightwing number 51. Rick Grayson tries to move past Nightwing and have a normal life, but Bloodhaven may not be done with Nightwing just yet. Zubay Dill, he gave it two and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral. Thumbs down. Harley Quinn number 52. After Triumph explodes in anger over Harley causing him to be stranded in time, the two make up and Harley helps him get back home by revisiting the site of his deal with the witches. This is by David. He gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a Thumbs neutral. Down. Neutral. No secondary TBU books. Main DC Universe books. Justice League number 10. Arthur Curry grew up wondering of new oceans yet to be discovered. 
um, if they existed, and now he finds out if they do. This is by Corbin. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Abstain. <laughs> Justice League Dark, number four, with Cersei's help, Diana and the team confront Hecate. 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 Americans. Hecate. You know, I, I, I swear I was saying like Hectate you or were. something like that the last time around. <laughs> Or something like that. And then I watched this interview with James Tynion talking about it. And he said it. And I was like, I don't know how I would have ever pronounced it. <laughs> but yeah, Hecate. Um, in Anda Parbat, this was by Tony. He gave it three and a half out of five. And we give this one a neutral. Neutral. Thumbs down. Teen Titans number 23, Roundhouse Returns. And the Teen Titans pursue an assassin that brings them closer to the mysterious entity known as the Other. This is Dill. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs, thumbs up. up. Abstain. And then uh, secondary DC Universe books. We had Aquaman number 41. Batman appears in the issue as the Drowned Earth crossover gets underway. Injustice 2 number 36, which includes digital chapters number 71 through 72. The Injustice versions of Harley Quinn, Alfred, Ra's al Ghul, Poison Ivy, Deadshot, Man Bat, and Bruce Wayne all appear in the issue. Moving over to October 24th, main TBU books. We already talked about Detective Comics. Batgirl number 28, Barbara escapes the grasp of the GCPD detective with more going on that meets the eye and continues to search for grotesque and worm. She finds a danger to both Gotham and her family. This is by Jerry. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Batman Beyond number 25, as the new Batman and Robin begin to learn their new dynamic, an old villain of Bruce's returns to bring down his legacy, beginning with Barbara Gordon. This is by Bill. He gave it two and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs, thumbs up. up. Thumbs up. Secondary TBU books, Batman Kings of Fear. Batman questions the reality around him and is forced to go along with Scarecrow's method of psychology. This is by Corbin. He gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one neutral. a neutral. But a positive neutral. Thumbs up. Sorry. <laughs> the difficulties of a th- I know, three right? point scale. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted Ian. You give it a thumbs up, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Old Harley, number one. Harley and Red Tool leave the wastelands after an encounter with a rogue squid and re enter Gotham on the possible trail of the Joker. This is by David. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Thumbs up. Abstain. Main DC Universe books, Justice League Odyssey number two. The Misfit team learns more about the ancient prophecy from Darkseid. This is by Bob. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Secondary DC Universe books, The Silencer number 10. Talia al Ghul appears briefly as she emerges from a Lazarus pit in the issue. Wonder Woman number 57 as the Witching Hour crossover continues. Ban Bat appears in the issue. Moving over to October 31st. Main TBU books, Batman Secret Files number one, a collection of short stories featuring the Dark Knight. This is by Paul. He gave it three out of five. Um, I'm going to give this one a <laughs> And for further information, become a Patreon. <laughs> yes, I was going to say Sorry. That. <laughs> uh, Go ahead. Uh, thumbs Go ahead. up out of ignorance because I didn't really know what to, what? What to, I didn't know what to expect from a secret file. And, and I found it mostly finishable. Well, if you listen to uh, Dustin and I <laughs> blathering on about this issue, you'll know I'm giving it a thumbs down. Yes, uh, what what they what they both were referring to is if you are uh, support us on Patreon, as you as I've said before, um, if you are at the ten dollar, which is our silver level uh, Patreon supporter uh, level, you get two additional episodes of a show called TBU Extra, which is 
staff from the site reviewing a comic book, one of which that we choose, and then the other one is a Patreon supporter chosen one. So out of all of the books for October, the one that was actually voted on by our supporters was Batman Secret Files number one. And Ian and I reviewed it, and that episode's out there on on Patreon. If you support right away at the $10 level, you'll be able to have access to it. It's not like you don't get access to the stuff from before, but you'll hear all about why Secret Files was... Other garbage, <laughs> in my opinion. And, and, and don't get I me wrong. I was more disappointed than, than angry, but it was it was not what I was hoping. Let's just say that. Yeah, and just to be clear, it's not that the the issue itself is utter garbage. It's that the concept is utter garbage. That's that's my main concern. Um, also, just 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 so you, everybody knows, Detective Chimp is prominent in one of the stories, and I really enjoyed that story. But it's still <clears throat> not 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 good. Not not the story, but the issue as a whole. So there's that. So if you want to learn more about that, become a Patreon supporter. All right, next one: Batman 100 page comic giant number four. After meeting the puzzling Ginny Hex, Batman chases the Riddler to Amsterdam, meeting some surprising folk along the way. This is by Ian. He gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Thumbs up. Neutral. And I will say this, the, I feel like there's just not enough to, to really give it a good rating. Like, I like the idea of Ginny Hex. I'm interested to see where that goes with, you know, the but stuff. But she didn't like, do anything. No, exactly. I mean, like, it's true. She literally was just there. Um, but I will say that, like, I'm interested to see what happens with that character. Mostly because I was following along with Jonah Hex for All-Star Western because it was taking place in a more Wild West Gotham City. Um, so I know a little bit about Jonah Hex, so I'm curious to see what they what, what direction they go with this Ginny Hex character. Um, secondary TBU books, Archie meets Batman 66, number four, Batgirl and Robin fall afoul of Catwoman and Joker, while Bruce Wayne discovers dastardly deeds at a society party. This is re- this was reviewed by Ian. He gave it two and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a I'm neutral. 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 Batman the Max, Arkham Dreams number two. As Batman delves into the mystery surrounding the Max, he encounters the Max's world of the Outback, which sees Joker infiltrating that plane of existence. That was reviewed by Bob. He gave it two out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs uh, down. Abstain. abstain. Nightwing, Megilla Gorilla special number one. Nightwing faces a mystery in Hollywood as an offer from Megilla Gorilla brings up some inner turmoil. This is by Ian. He gave it two and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. I was so hesitant, but thumbs up. I'm going to give it a neutral mostly because these mashups are really, they're an interesting experiment and I appreciate that DC's doing them because they give a market for like the, the all ages. And I, I appreciate that there's all ages Batman. That's not quite as goofy as say uh, the Batman 66 <laughs> stuff. Um, but I, maybe I had too high expectations. I, I really liked the Catwoman, Tweety and Sylvester mashup last, I think two months ago. Yeah, in August. Uh, I, I mean, that was, it was one of my favorite books of the month. Like not just, I enjoyed it. I, I really think it was a well-crafted book. It was clever and intelligent. And of course, everyone knows about the Eisner nominated. I think it actually won the Eisner, uh, Batman Elmer Fudd. So I think looking at what these books could be, these these books can be really good, satisfying. These were just, just kind soap of, opera. It, it was just middle yeah. of the road when it could have been better. So I'm going neutral. My my take on these um, are, is this: okay, so originally when the first group of Hanna Barbera crossovers released, 
I was not a fan of any of those, the cartoons that they were crossing over because they were from a different mm-hmm. era. The stuff that they're doing now is like the stuff that I remember watching as a kid, even if it was not actually from when I was a kid. Cartoon Network aired a lot of that Hanna-Barbera stuff in during the day um, when I was younger. So the, a lot of these characters, like it's really cool to see them popping up. Um, and I, and out of the four that released, I read, I read the Nightwing McGilla Gorilla one and I read the Yogi Bear Deathstroke one. Um, and the, uh, just saying that is, is, is actually pretty funny. Deathstroke <laughs> Yogi Bear. Yogi Bear but, um, but I read those two. There was a Huckleberry Hound in Green Lantern and there was a Top Cat. Well, I actually, I did read the Top Cat in Superman one too, but I didn't really like it. Um, the Yogi Bear one I thought well, was written by Dan Didio. Well, <laughs> there's that. Um, the, the, the Yogi Bear Deathstroke one I thought was actually pretty good too. And there was a gazillion cameos from characters. And they also potentially hinted at something that could be happening in the future with either another set of crossovers or a standalone thing. Cause let's be clear. They've, the, the, the initial run of these crossovers led to some other things dealing with Hanna-Barbera that led to the Scooby-Doo Apocalypse series, the Flintstone series, um, those are reimagined versions, not just like you know, the typical Scooby Doo, where are you kids series that typically comes out. But then they also had the Rough and Ready. They've done, uh, they had the Snagglepost Chronicles. Like they've done some other ones that have led into it. And the thing is, like, I think the idea of like, well, one, Hanna Barbera is best known for a bunch of animal, like animorific, uh, uh, animals where they are basically talking animals. And to have that cross over with something that is not, you know, that's taking place within the world of the DC universe is just interesting because you get some of the weirdest art in some cases. Um, <laughs> the, the one thing that I, the, the, and then the, the other thing is the Hanna-Barbera stuff this time around had a backup that was the, the backup was secret squirrel and all of them had this like secret squirrel backup that all, you know, you, if you bought all the Hanna-Barbera specials, you got the entire secret squirrel story but that being said, there was a, um, there was, and these are long, they, they, they were are. 30 page yeah. suckers. The Looney Tunes specials that came out in August, they all had backups too, but the backups were basically like swapping mm-hmm. the more realistic version of the art for the more cartoon version. So like you get Batman, the animated series versions of the characters along with the normal Looney Tunes art that you typically see in the cartoons and, and the Looney Tune comics. So like, it was also an interesting thing because the previous Hanna-Barbera ones have had cross or had backups as well. I think the last batch did. I don't think the first batch did. But anyway, it's a lot of information for those of you who don't even care about the <laughs> Hanna-Barbera stuff. But I'm a huge Hanna-Barbera <laughs> fan. Like I love the old classic stuff, and I really like. Uh, I've talked about this before too. Um, somewhere, I don't know if it was on this podcast or somewhere else, but Boomerang is this app that that Warner Brothers came out with a while back that has like tons of classic Hanna-Barbera stuff. My kids love watching that stuff mostly because there's not a lot to it. And I don't have to worry about it being, you know, teaching stupid fart (laughs) jokes and dumb stuff that a lot of the stuff on Cartoon Network does nowadays. So that all being said, I appreciate them continuing to do these and they, they don't all sell like crazy well, but they sell well enough for them to keep doing them. And if anything, it gives some writers like Tom King for the instance of like the Batman and Elmer Fudd one, to do something that's like outside the box, but to show that they have like crazy mm-hmm. range when it comes to like being able to do something that's like you took a cartoon character and made it work. Mm-hmm. 
you took a talking, you know, a talking pig or a, a, a talking cat or a talking bird or a talking rabbit and, and made it actually make sense in the confines of this universe. And that takes skill to make it a one issue story that does that. So props to them for at least trying and experimenting with some of the stuff, because even if it doesn't sell really well, some of the stuff can actually turn into something that's really enjoyable. So, all right. Main- well, I wish they'd do more of the Tom King and Gail Simone stuff. Like give the top level creators a chance to, to do something different. Cause I think that's where you really get the, the good response. I think, I don't, well, I I feel like they probably are giving anybody a shot to do these, but the problem is that not everybody is looking at these projects and thinking, this is exactly (laughs) what I want to get myself into. So that's the thing. Cause like, I, I, I could never see somebody like Scott Snyder saying, this is what I would want to do because I just don't see him as that. I think like, I don't look at Tom King and say that either, but. Tom King looks like he also comes across as somebody who'd be a little bit more adventurous when it comes to like trying to like do something that nobody else has done. Um, Gail Simone, I could completely see her doing something like that because she's done other things that are outside of like the typical superhero stuff. And she's done crossovers with other, with other characters and things like that. So that's not outside the realm of what I would think that she would do, but yeah. Okay. Main DC Universe books, Heroes in Crisis number two, the investigation over what happened at the Sanctuary is underway as Harley and Booster try to do what they think is best. So by Dill, he gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Secondary DC Universe books, uh, Deathstroke Yogi Bear special, Killer Croc has a brief cameo in the issue. Injustice vs. Masters of the Universe number four, the Injustice versions of Batman, Catwoman, Harley Quinn, and Red Hood appear in the issue. Justice League Aquaman Drowned Earth number one, Batman and James Gordon appear in the issue. Justice League Dark, uh, Wonder Woman, The Witching Hour, number one, Man Bat and Salman Grundy appear in the issue. And then finally, trading hardcovers over the past two weeks, or past three weeks, include Batman the Dark Knight Detective Volume 2 trade paperback, which also was one of the TBU collected issues that we reviewed over the past three weeks as well, so check that out over on the site. Batman the Dark Prince Charming hardcover, Suicide Squad Volume 7, Drain the Swamp trade paperback, Batman and the Justice League Manga Volume trade paperback 1, or Volume 1 Trade Paperback, Bombshells United Volume 2 War Bonds Trade Paperback, Batman Volume 7 The Wedding Trade Paperback, Batman Detective Comics Rebirth Deluxe Edition Book 3 Hardcover, Batman Haunted Night New Edition Trade Paperback, which was the second of the TBU collected that we reviewed the past three weeks, so check that out as well. And then Red Hood and the Outlaws Volume 4 Good Night Gotham Read Paperback. That is all of our uh, Greater Gotham. If we gave a thumbs up, thumbs down, or a neutral rating to any of those books, as well as the TBU collected two trades that I mentioned, there are full detailed reviews of those stories over on the site. I encourage you to not only read them, but uh, share your review, as there is a spot at the bottom of each review where you can actually put your review out of five there to share with other with other uh, fans, as well as the people who wrote the article. And then you can also just leave a comment if you enjoyed and say whether or not you enjoyed the issue or, or you didn't enjoy the issue. Um, outside of that, uh, before we get into our listener uh, comments, we're going to go through and uh, just quickly mention our Patreon. We talked about it before with TBU Extra. Another thing that's out there is uh, TBU Raw, which is myself and Ed talking about something related to something. It's not necessarily Batman related. Um, this time around, this in October, we did do two episodes that related to things related to Batman. The first one was that we talked about the controversy surrounding Batman Damned and whether or not it was 
worth the controversy or not. And then the second episode is us talking about our favorite bat costumes, um, whether it be bat suits or whether it be portrayals of, of specific versions of villains and things like that. So those are available for you to listen to at the, 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 the bottom level, which is just the $3 level. So for $3 a month, you'll get two dollars or two episodes of tv raw every single month as well so support at the ten dollar level and you get two extra episodes of uh, tv extra and two episodes of tv raw so you get maybe like an added hour and a half worth of listening every single month for just ten dollars extra a month so be sure to support us uh real quick thank you to theodis roberts stephanie ian anthony arturo Irwin, brian j Real No Deuces and Donald. Thank you all for supporting us at the $10 and up levels. Uh, everybody else who's supporting us at the lower levels, thank you again for your support. We greatly appreciate all of our support. If you are unable to support us on a monthly basis over on Patreon, even though we do offer a bunch of rewards there, there are other ways you can support. If you head over the site at the top of the, the menu bar, there's a spot that says show your support for TBU. Click on that. It'll run through all of your different options. You can buy merch. You can, uh, and then proceeds from the merch directly come back to us. You can uh, make a one-time donation through PayPal. You can support us on Patreon. Or if you have no money and you don't want to, you know, you don't have the money to, to put towards any kind of support like that, you can certainly just uh, email me at tbu at net and uh, help volunteer with some skills. If you've got any sort of skills with video editing, audio editing, graphic design, website developing, uh, if you're interested in reviewing comics or writing news articles or any of that stuff, we're always looking for people to help us out with that kind of stuff. So with that, that is all of that. We're going to jump straight into our listener comments so we can make sure we can try to get through all of these. <laughs> Um, So our first comment comes from Captain DC. Holy sexism, Batman. I definitely, oh, definitely a big fat no on the Batman and Catwoman romance slash team-up book as a replacement for her solo title. You gotta have female-led books that don't require a constant presence from a male hero. Ed Brubaker successfully established how to write a modern version of Catwoman in an, in an ongoing series. I have no doubt that Catwoman could potentially kick Wonder Woman's, Harley Quinn's, and Batgirl's butts in a monthly sale with a great writer and cool direction. Unlike Batman, Catwoman's adventures personal adventures personality has to be able to drive the story. Tom King took that away from her by making her a runaway bride. That's a year and a half of character development that Tom King threw away just so Batman's feelings can be hurt. There's still some comic book readers that want to see Catwoman operate without needing Batman, Harley Quinn, or Poison Ivy attached to her. As for Joelle Jones, I agree that her opening storyline is too slow and there's no reason for Batman readers to care. But Joelle's number one job is to kind of protect Catwoman a bit from Tom King, who doesn't really value female characters. Helping him write a more balanced love story between Bruce and Selina. Making sure that Selina is able to exist in continuity without being disrespected. Okay, so here's the thing. I'll, I'm going to be completely honest here. I don't remember exactly the suggestion of the romance team-up book. Um, <laughs> that was me. No, I, I remember you suggesting it, but I don't remember you suggesting it as a replacement for the Well, he wanted to cancel series. everything. 
It was. Oh, that's true. No, I, I literally canceled everything, and this was my okay. replacement for that. So I will own up okay. to that. Okay, so here's the thing. I'm not saying, like, I, if I remember correctly, I said I was for a Batwoman, or Batman Catwoman team up book as well. And I think it's not so much that she can't have her own solo series. It's that I feel as if, if they got married, the immediate thing that would make sense to me is a team up book where it sh- there's just a book that deals with their relationship, their interactions, their things, because then you don't have to worry about the Batman book just being about their relationship. You have the ability to like delve into their relationship without it affecting the main title. I'm not saying you have to have a romance book. I'm not saying the Catwoman is not somebody who could hold her own series because we know that she can. She had two long running series, um, you know, previously. So it's not as if she can't have her own series. It's that based off of what we currently have, which is the Catwoman by Joel Jones that we're currently seeing on shelves right now, compared to something where it's a Batman Catwoman team up book exploring their relationship. I'd much rather see that because it deals more with character development of not just Catwoman, but also Batman too, because you you can see Batman in a different view. Some of the best Tom King stories, in my opinion, um, since the beginning, up into, up to the wedding were the stories that dealt with Batman and Catwoman, uh, interacting with each other and their relationship and exploring their relationship. And I think that that is something that is really interesting. And it's something that obviously a lot of people wanted to see because a lot of people were really upset by what happened with the wedding. So, or the wedding not happening, that is. So I think a, a team up book between the two of them could actually work really well. It's not as if they haven't done team up books with other characters. Like one, they did one with Wonder Woman and Superman, uh, when they were in a relationship. Um, it's not that I'm not saying this is the answer to, to not having a Catwoman series. Trust me. If Batman and Catwoman aren't together, there's no need for a Batman Catwoman series. So that doesn't make any sense. But what I'm getting right now with, from Joel Jones with the Catwoman series, I'm not enjoying it. And I'd much rather enjoy Batman and Catwoman being in a relationship and having a book where it, you, you focus on the relationship. Um, Spider-Man, and I don't, I, I only know off of what I've never, I've, I haven't read very many Spider-Man comics over the years, but one of the underlying themes with Spider-Man is his relationships with his, his, his girlfriends and in some cases his wife. So the thing is like, I think that it's something different that Batman really hasn't experienced because like, yeah, sure, Batman's had girlfriends, but either they turn out to be horrible, evil people like Jezebel Jet or Talia (laughs) Ghul, or they trick him into, you know, all kinds of weird things, or they're just completely just there because they're arm candy. And and I don't think that's fair to a female character popping up in a book either. Catwoman, in some ways, is probably the best fit for Batman because she doesn't, she's not arm candy. She's not, you know, she has enough character development over the years where she can have her own stories. So if there, if there's, if Batman and Catwoman aren't together, then by all means, let's do a Catwoman story. Get a really good writer attached to it who has a really great idea. But what I'm seeing right now, and obviously we're only a couple, uh, issues into the series at this point or four issues in yeah but i mean like what we're getting up to this point like even this the past issue that dealt with um like they revealed in issue three that uh maggie um is still you know is around and they started dealing with some of that history like we get to the next issue and it's like yeah well it's there but it's not really guess what's yeah. back in continuity 
eyeball eating. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it just comes down to, it's not about, like, let's be clear. I have, I, I don't consider myself a sexist by any means. And I'm not trying to say get rid of Catwoman's series for the sake of doing a book with Batman in it because Batman, let's be honest, is in a lot of books. But I honestly believe that a book that focuses on the relationship of Batman and Catwoman would be way more interesting than what we're currently seeing with Joel Jones. And that's, that's where I think the, the, the confusion is with, at least the way I I put it. No, I can't speak for Ian. Maybe Ian is a sexist. I don't know. <laughs> um, I think. Well, I am the person who keeps saying that I don't want women writers the, to be the only people allowed to write uh, female-led books. So oh, no, maybe... that's not sexist. No, no. Um, but I mean, I don't think saying that uh, having a team up. I don't know. If it was if it was any other market, I would say yeah, it's probably a sexism to say that you know. The only way that they could have a book to get, or a book, she can have a book is a, is a couple. Sure. But this is, this is Batman. Like you said, like he, this man has literally never had a, a, a meaningful fem- relationship with a female in his life. <laughs> so, so this would be a one of a kind, <laughs> healthy, yes, well, healthy. healthy. This let's would be say. a one of a kind, like this would be something completely new. I don't, I don't know. I think, I think it would be awesome. And I don't think that you would have to have one or the other. Like I feel like Catwoman's a strong enough person, and she has. If Batman has enough hours in the day to have Detective Comics and Batman and Justice League and blah 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 blah, blah that the Catwoman could have two books and it'd be okay. <laughs> well, I don't. I mean, this is definitely one of the ones I wanted to respond to because it's directly talking about what I suggested. In and remember, this is a fantasy. This is not like I have any power. This is just throwing ideas out there, but. My logic was I would really love to see a Batman-Catwoman romance that was about their relationship, about growing together, developing. And thinking about this, it's possible you could do that in like a either a six-issue miniseries or like a 12-issue maxi-series with two arcs, and then that would spin out into a Catwoman solo. So it's not that I'm like, I would never imagine that Catwoman couldn't sell without Batman. Although, I will point out a couple things. Number one, if you put Batman mm-hmm. in the title of anything, it sells. Period. Um, so I think this would be a good boost to spin something out of if you gave fans what they want. I think one of the reasons that the Joel Jones series really isn't doing as well as I, I would hope is that it's not giving most fans who were enjoying what Tom King was doing what they want. And Tom King is partially to blame because he chose to break them up. So I'm not saying that this is Jones' fault. But what people wanted, I think, is not what they're getting. And uh, what they are getting is solo Catwoman, and they're getting some continuity, which some people may like. But as for the assertion that uh, Catwoman, with a great writer and a cool direction, could kick uh, all these these other solo female titles' butts and sales, um, I would just hold up as an example, Genevieve Alventine wrote about 12 issues of Catwoman. It was an awesome direction. Uh, had two really good artists. Um, and it was one of the best written comics, period. Not just Catwoman, but it's a good comic, period. And it sold like garbage. <laughs> so, I, I really... Uh, I, I just don't see the logic there. I think that it's... It's, it's really heavily dependent on a lot more things than just a great writer and a cool direction. Should we continue on? 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Before we continue on, I, I'm 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 gonna read mm-hmm. Bob's remark. Uh, so this was specifically coming back from uh, Captain DC's comment. Uh, Bob had said, I hadn't considered this idea that Tom King doesn't value female characters, but I'm inclined to call on that. King's Vision series uh, from a couple years back, this was over at Marvel, for those of you who aren't aware, back, bank, back a couple years back, banked heavily on the relationship between Vision and his daughter Viv, a character that King created. Meanwhile, in the Grayson series, Dick served under the several powerful female characters in Asian Spiral. It's one thing to say that Catwoman is catching a bad rap at the moment. That's true to an extent, but viewing the whole wedding incident strictly as something that happened to Batman is kind of a trap. Yes, the event functions as a way to tear down Bruce, but it's not as if Selina just dusted off her hands and called it a wash. I hate the way the wedding story went down, and as it had an enormous impact on my overall feelings towards the Batman line slash greater Gotham pull list as a whole in very much a final straw type of way, but it's unfair to lay that at the feet of one single writer or character. That said, you say you see the potential for Catwoman to be the premier female-led DC book. I think that's going a little far as well, barring something like Gail Simone or Kelly Thompson. Yes, there are several other extremely talented women writers who who are adept at writing the voice of their characters, so I'm not intentionally leaving anyone out. Taking the reins, what would make Catwoman a bigger draw than Harley Quinn? Whatever else you may think about the wedding, Selina must have had the most eyes on her she's had maybe ever this summer. What would it have take to make her top tier again, I wonder? So, uh, th- th- I mean, this is kind of what we were saying. Like, It's not necessarily that Tom King specifically is the only way to blame. Uh, kind of like what, what Ian was saying, like, the wedding didn't go the way the vast majority of people were expecting or wanting, not expecting, but wanting it to go. Because let's be honest, I wanted to go one way. I expected (laughs) it to go the way it did. Um, That being I was like the only person I know who actually believed it was going to happen. And I just feel so let down. That's where, that's where all of your optimism went. That's, that's, it it went out the window after that. Um, But yeah, I mean, but basically it just comes down to this idea of, you know, I, the wedding didn't go the way that most people wanted it to go. And because of that, no matter what we got after the wedding, it wasn't going to work for what we got. I mean, like, I'm not enjoying the Catwoman series just because I feel like it is neglecting Catwoman's history. Sure, third issue rolls around and we get, like, this reference and then we get the fourth issue that has more references to history. But it feels like that's almost a react a reactive uh, element to, you know, maybe the first two issues coming out and not really dealing with anything. Um, also, it really, really, really frustrated me when Joel Jones was like, well, there's no female characters out there that Catwoman can go up against. So I had to go create one of my own because there's nobody out there in the DC universe that she could go up against. And I'm like, oh, well, um, that's a false statement because there's plenty of female characters out there that she could go up against that nobody probably has ever had her go up against. That could be something really interesting, but you wanted to make your own villain because it served the purpose of what your story was, which is fine. That's one thing to say that. And obviously I've harped about this in the past, but I'm just like, the thing is Catwoman was never going to get a, the Catwoman series was never going to get a fair rap no matter what happened because of the way it mm-hmm. spun out of the wedding and the wedding was not what the direction that most people wanted to go. So that's the thing. And, you know, the thing is, just going on uh, what Bob said about um, kind of leading back to Captain DC's original comment about um, Catwoman potentially being the top tier DC female book. 
as much as I love Catwoman, I don't, I don't see that. Um, Catwoman is a very popular character. There's no question about that. But right now, right now, currently, with the Wonder Woman film being as, as successful as it was, a sequel around the corner, um, the, you know, the entire idea of what Wonder Woman stands for, woman empowerment and things like that. I, there's just no way I could see Catwoman being more popular than Wonder Woman at this point. Harley Quinn is like a merchandise, mm-hmm. merchandise like behemoth when it comes to the amount of merchandise that that character sells. Also, not seeing that for Catwoman. Um, now I'm not opposed to Catwoman, you know, popping up in, in the, um, in a live action movie in the future. I'd love to see Catwoman reappear. Um, and, and who's no, who knows? Maybe it could turn around and she could overtake Harley Quinn. Cause honestly, I do feel like Harley Quinn is like way above and beyond what it should be. Um, just because I feel like it's, it's one of those like, it's a very popular character right now, but it probably is not going to last forever. Um, and the only thing that could well, keep it, but we've been saying that for like well, four years. No, I mean, I think the thing is like, we were saying that during the new 52, but then the movie came out. And then the movie re-energized the popularity of the character because it was a different take on the character. It wasn't just the ca- same character that we've seen in the comics. Um, and let's be honest, here we are two Halloweens or three Halloweens after the movie came out. And there are still people dressing up as Harley Quinn from Suicide Squad from 2016. So, I mean, like... Well, and we're getting the Harley Quinn cro- cartoon. So I... I just don't see this ending. Yeah, anytime. it's not ending anytime soon, but I'm, I, I do feel like eventually Harley Quinn will reach its like complete peak and it just will, that's where it will be. And honestly, right now with the comic series, I feel like it's already peaked. Um, I don't feel like the comic series is nearly as, as interesting and enjoyable as it was two years ago. Um, I feel like Con- uh, Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti got out when they did because they they told what they had to tell and it happened to sell really well at the time but i mean like ever since they left the title their the sales have slowly gone down um but and and let's be clear here obviously the comics aren't the only thing there's still a ridiculous amount of merchandise that's not comics related that still sells for harley quinn but i just want to say like i don't see catwoman being more popular than either one woman or harley quinn i mean there's plenty of other characters that she can be more popular for, and I, I, it's entirely possible that she could be more popular than batgirl because if you're only comparing you know let's say hope larson's batgirl run at the beginning of the new 52 or beginning of rebirth to a catwoman solo series like the ed brubaker catwoman series Sure, that's like apples and oranges, though. I mean, like, in comparison of quality, um, nobody <laughs> really enjoyed Hope Larson's run. It just felt like she had uh, a contract for 20, you know, two years worth of issues, and she just had to keep writing issues or something. I don't know. But, like, Batgirl right now is is getting back where it's a little bit more interesting. A lot more people are starting to get more involved with what's happening in the title and starting to be interested more. But it really just it depends on the creative team. So in that regard, sure, if there was a top-tier creator who had an amazing Catwoman story and was going to tackle Catwoman, it's entirely possible that she could become more popular than she currently is. I just don't see, like, if you're just basing off of what sells the most, sure, it's entirely possible that she could sell more than Wonder Woman or Harley Quinn as far as comic book sales. But that is not the only thing that determines popularity, and I just... There's no way that Catwoman would overtake both Harley Quinn and, and Wonder Woman at this As point. As someone so. who has looked for Catwoman pajamas, I will tell there's you there's, there's not a lot of Catwoman merchandise out there. 
It's all Harley. Qu- it's all Harley Quinn. It's all <laughs> Wonder Woman. There's uh, one more comment that we got on Twitter that I wanted to deal with about this. Um, it's from Optimist Prime ninety nine, and they said, "As a Catwoman fan, I'll take Dan Didio over y'all any day of the week and twice on Sundays." Smiley face. Would you rather your favorite character lead their own book with guests or be lost in the shuffle in a team-up book? Solo stories are more satisfying than squishing characters together. And to this I say optimist. My favorite character is Stephanie Brown. I put her on a team book, so there's no playing favorites on this podcast. And and let's be clear here, just because a team-up book, or just because a character is in a team-up book doesn't mean that it's bad. Like, I think that team-up books tend to have this, like, bad rap because the vast majority of them are not good, and the vast majority of them do not do a good job of developing the characters within the book. But there are rare occasions, like, for example, Detective Comics at the beginning of Rebirth, you know, while Tynan was on it, oh, that yeah. one was really good. That that did a great job of basically focusing on almost Two every year. Yeah, awesome. I mean, like, it focused on almost every single member that was part of that team at some point. Like, each character had its story arc that it focused on. Even even if they shared the the spotlight with somebody like Azrael shared the spotlight at the same time as as uh, Cassandra, if I remember correctly. So I mean, like the thing is, it's not as if team up books can't be done right. And honestly, I I brought this up before. Just League Dark. It's it's not a, typically a book that I would go out of my way to to go buy and read. And I'm actually really enjoying it. A lot of it has to do with Tynan, and he ha- he does a really good job of like figuring out ways to make characters interesting but like i picked it up specifically because of two reasons detective chimp and man bad um but like man bad hasn't had a whole lot of time to shine but we're only like four months into the 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 series so like there's plenty of time to to have other care you know to have characters shine but man bad is like he doesn't even really appear that much like he's he's all around and he's in the series but like the characterization of Manbat is is quite amusing to me, and it's just one of those things where, it's like, even if they're not focusing on Manbat and he's just like this secondary member of the team that is in the background, he's still interesting, and that's that's the thing. Like, it really takes a specific type of writer to be able to do a team up book and make it work, and I think that's why team up books get such a bad rap. Um, but yeah, so. All right, so our next comment comes from Bob. This was his actual comment, and he said... Dustin, how could you miss this opportunity? Wait for it. Badawang. And Bob, I used Badawang today in honor of you. Um, And apparently the opportunity... Uh, the organization, sorry, and apparently the organization taking responsibility for covering him up in the digital editions, League of Shadows. Damn it, I can't think of any more. LOL, exclamation point. Good stuff, Bob. Good stuff. Um, yeah. Quality. Uh, quality content on yes, this podcast. <laughs> All right. Our next comment comes from Paul. Hello, guys. As always, thanks so much for the podcast and all the hard work you do. Having started with the new 52 and then reading the two key Batman titles, I had to stop collecting around issue 10 of Rebirth for both Batman and Detective. I use the podcast to keep up to date with Batman and Detective and all the news. You guys do a sterling effort, so thank you. I jumped back on board for Batman with 48 and 59, uh, 49, howled in frustration at 50, and have enjoyed the subsequent issues. 
I was wondering if you could shed some light on a few questions. Number one, was Rebirth supposed to cancel out the events of the New 52? Did it not happen at all? All right, so let's talk the, Let's talk these yeah. bit by bit. So first off, New 52 happened, and New 52 was actually meant to cancel out the vast majority of what happened before Flashpoint. Um, now, there was plenty of interviews that were done at the time that were saying that Green Lantern books and the Batman books were the only ones that were not canceling out stuff that previously happened. But as the New 52 continued and progressed just within, you know, the publication time frame, there was clearly things that had been forgotten or, you know, wiped out specifically just because the writers were telling their stories and their stuff was contradicting things that previously happened before the New 52 began and before Flashpoint ended. So the thing is, the New 52 was meant to wipe out the vast majority. I mean, when you look at a lot of the other books that wasn't Green Lantern or the Batman books, it was meant to be like a fresh start. That's That was their intent. The Green Lantern books at the time, as well as the Batman books, had a massive group of fans, and they didn't, I feel like they were saying the stuff wasn't, wasn't, uh, changing because they were trying not to piss people off because those books were selling really well at the beginning of the new, or before the new 52 began. Now, when you get to Rebirth, it gets a little bit iffy because basically the Rebirth was a way to kind of negate some of the stuff that happened during the new 52, but it's very spotty, meaning there are certain things that they wanted to ignore from the New 52, but then there was other things that they had no problem keeping online. Like There was stuff that happened with Superman that they wanted to get rid of, and even before the New 52 ended, they kind of like repositioned Superman in a position where it was more similar to the character during, you know, before Flashpoint happened. So the thing is, it's not that Rebirth was meant to completely wipe out or cancel the events of the new 52. It was more of a, let's figure out a way to kind of combine the fan favorite elements pre flashpoint and the stuff that people like during the new 52 combine them in a way where we can say we're having like a fresh starting point so that new readers can come on board, but make sure that we're not saying we're wiping the slate clean. So it was never meant to cancel it out. Now, did that happen anyway? Yeah, sure. There's plenty of things that happened that are no longer referenced or long, no longer mentioned in any way, shape, or form that happened in 52. But they wanted to make sure that they were very political with their their respect of, if you enjoyed the New 52 and we're not getting rid of everything at the beginning, but then eventually, gradually, over time, they're going to start forgetting some of that stuff. So that's that's the best answer for that. Number two, the amount of future Batmans doesn't put... My head in a, oh, sorry, I'll start over. The amount of future Batmans does put my head in a spin. Is Batman Beyond in the same continuity or something separate? If it is, how can Tim Drake in Detective be the future Batman? Also, do both these ideas cancel out the idea of the Batman clone suggested in Detective 27 by Snyder years ago? Or is this idea invalid now as a result of Rebirth? I'm not expecting all answers, but the wisdom and illumination would help. Okay. Can I yeah, go ahead. At this go ahead. One? Okay, so future Batmans are always a weird thing. Future Batmans always reflect an extrapolation by the writers of continuity mm-hmm. as it is when they write it. So as continuity continues, the things that the future Batman was based on are no longer the case. So in the case of Scott Snyder's Batman clones, 
he basically destroyed that in uh, uh what was it called? Uh, Bloom is the trade uh, when the the machine that he used to brainwash his clones into thinking they're all Batman is basically destroyed when Bruce uses it to kill himself and bring himself back as Batman again. Um, so Snyder is still going to be writing his uh, Batman The Last Night with Greg Capullo, but that that continuity is not really one that I think we're supposed to be seeing as building towards anymore. Um, as for the whole Batman Beyond situation, there was a time in 2014 when DC was trying to say, this is our canonical future. This is what everything's going to be building towards. And they created a series called Future's End. And it sucked. And in Future's End, Terry McGinnis was Batman Beyond, but he was sent back in time to five years in the future. So he was sent back, but not all the way to our present day. And Tim Drake, as an adult, uh, took over the mantle when Terry McGinnis was killed in the future. And so that's the sort of situation when Rebirth started and Tim Drake was still Batman Beyond. But then he found a new Terry McGinnis who hadn't died, and he's now Batman again. I don't think there's any way that the current Batman Beyond series really fits into the current continuity because of the future Tim Drake and how how weird that is. Uh, they erased future Tim Drake from that series um, at the same time that Tim was quote-unquote killed in Detective Comics. And it's my personal belief, I've never had anyone confirm this, but it's my personal belief that James Tynan was originally going to use future Tim Drake from Batman Beyond in A Lonely Place of Living as the evil Batman from the future. But that was a year later, and he'd had a different idea, and it was like, no, I'm going to use Titans of Tomorrow Tim instead, so they left that plot thread completely dangling. Um, so this is just another case. When Batman Beyond, the current series, was conceived, it was the canonical future. I don't see any way for that to be the case anymore, because I don't think anyone's writing that way. It's the same thing as the uh, the Batman Annual number 2, when we see Batman and Catwoman married, and they have Hel- Helena the daughter, and all these other things are going on. I don't think that future is still operative. I think that's an alternate universe now. Um, so, at this point, I don't think we have any future Batman continuity that is conceived of as canon, which I think is as it should be, because I hated the fact that they tried to set up, this is the way the future is going to go, because that means there's no real surprises coming. So I, I prefer to have alternate universe for futures, and we'll just build to the future as we get there. And I, I, I want to add this part in, and the, the thing about Batman Beyond is, yes, initially it was meant to be in normal continuity, but ultimately what ended up happening was I, and see the problem is it's a lot of the Batman Beyond stuff blends in my mind, but I feel like the one thing that is different in my mind, at least the way I'm remembering it, is that Tim Drake wasn't in Rebirth. He was never Batman in Rebirth. Um, Terry McGinnis like reappeared, but the, but that was that all that stuff happened in Batman Beyond before the new 52 ended because the, I'm pretty sure in the first arc of Batman beyond and rebirth, he was actually Batman. See, I don't know because like when I, when I'm, when I'm it's looking at, when I'm looking at memorable. the Batman beyond volume six, which ended in, which, okay. 
when I'm looking at Batman Beyond Volume 5, which is the one that ended at the end of the New 52, that one had Tim Drake in it and Terry McGinnis, but if I remember correctly, Spellbinder was there because Spellbinder was holding the Terry McGinnis in that story. But like when you get to the first issue of the Rebirth Batman Beyond, which didn't happen initially right when Bat- when Rebirth happened, it happened like in October, so like four or five months after Rebirth started. When that started, Tim Drake was never in the series. He wasn't even mentioned. So I think that the New 52 version of Batman Beyond, that the series that was coming out, which would be Batman Beyond Volume 5, when that when that ended, it kind of wrapped a lot of that stuff with Tim Drake up. And the Rebirth version was just... It could have technically been considered a sequel to it because Terry's back as Batman, but they dive right back into, like, Maxine and Matt and Bruce Wayne. And, like, there was... I, I don't... I didn't ever, I don't think it's meant to be a, you know, it's not meant to be this future version that Tim Drake was in. Like Rebirth version, I feel like it's meant to be, it can be taken as a sequel or like the next installment of what happens in there. But I, I, I look at it as this happened and this is just basically Batman Beyond stories. And I know that it's meant to be outside of continuity now, especially if you've been keeping up with Batman Beyond, a lot of the stuff that's currently happening, like with Barbara and Dick and that stuff, like there's, there's contradictions. If you've read some of the previous Batman Beyond stuff that doesn't work with some of the characters, the way they're bringing in some of the characters now, um, currently. So I feel like this is meant to be more of like a continuation of the animated stuff that was originally happened and not so much of what was previously happening during New 52. I feel like that actually wrapped up at the end of the New 52. But well, it it says in the Batman Beyond Rebirth number one solicitation that six months have passed since the events of Batman Beyond number sixteen, which is the issue where Tim Drake disappears. Um, so I think at the time it was conceived of as a follow up. I think as the series has gone on and they've traded creative teams over and over and over again, I think you're right. It's no longer connected to that. But I think initially it was supposed to be a follow up to the Tim stuff. Maybe it was meant to be. But I don't think it is. I, I don't feel like it was because if you like reading, I, I think yeah, it's reading not issue definitely. one, it just goes back to Terry dealing with the Jokers and Neo Gotham and him dealing with Dana um, and like Spellbinders around. Like I don't remember there. Like I'd have to honestly go back and like read to make sure. But I honestly don't recall there being any sort of mention of of Tim Drake um, at the beginning. Like maybe that wasn't the solicitation because. They're trying to make sure that anybody who was reading Batman Beyond during the New 52 comes back and reads Batman Beyond as a continuation. But I don't feel like there was anything. I feel like Rebirth was meant to be kind of a, it, it could be taken as a clean slate, but it definitely could continue on the story because Terry's right back to being Batman. And I don't really like the entire. Well, and there's also the appearance of the, the Batgirl who is introduced in the original uh, Batman Beyond continuity, um, Nisa, that Steve Orlando and Vita Ayala wrote a story about that. So I think you're right in terms of what's going on now. I think there's just some lack of clarity that yeah. DC is intentionally not clearing up about what the intention yes, of the Yes, I mean, but outside of Batman Beyond, everything else that Ian said about the, the Batmans, the problem is whenever you deal with a future version of the character, something that, that's always like a specific timeline, it's just the idea, like the idea of Back to the Future, when you come back to the present time from the future, 
and something was messed with, or you mess with something in the current, present, future timeline, you can't go back to the exact same place. It just doesn't work. Um, you're creating separate timelines. Yep. So that's why you can get so many future versions of characters, and then none of them actually end up ever being the actual future version because things can change. Um, so there's that. All right, third question. Number three. With the forthcoming Three Jokers miniseries, do you have any thoughts how that will fit into continuity? Um, no clue. Um, and I and I say this from, like, the most educated assumptions I can come up with, which is I don't know because I feel like it should have happened way earlier in time than now. I mean, by the time that jo- that series comes out, which I'm guessing is going to be, like, late winter, early spring of 2019, we're like three years removed from DC Universe kicking off. And that stuff being hinted at, just like Doomsday Clock took a year and a half after it was, you know, referenced in DC Universe in May of 2016. So the thing is, like, I have no idea how it's going to work in continuity, mostly because the entire idea of Doomsday Clock in continuity still doesn't make any sense because it's supposed to be happening in the future, but the future keeps getting extended somehow because Jeff Johns and Gary Frank have have the series coming out every other month when it was supposed to come out every month. Um, so instead of it taking 12 months to come out, it's going to take like 20 months to come out. So the thing is, like, you can't, when you have a series that's specifically dealing with timelines and saying this is going to meet up with this and it's all going to make sense at this specific point, and then it doesn't because you're suddenly adding a huge amount of your huge window of publication time that has to happen before that, you run into too big of a problem. So I can't even fathom as to where Three Jokers is going to pop up. Um, I would assume it's probably before Doomsday Clock, but it's probably taking place at least significantly past where we're currently at because it makes sense if it takes place right before Doomsday Clock, but we know that Doomsday Clock can't take place in the timeline until the end of Doomsday Clock wraps, which is it's like hurting my brain trying to make this make sense when I'm explaining this, but that's that's the only explanation I can have with Three Jokers. It's taking place right before Doomsday Clock, but it's not presently taking place with like Batman and Detective Comics, it has to take place in the future from what we're currently seeing. So there's that. So uh, final comment. Finally, I'm intrigued about the idea of multiple timelines, as you guys discussed a few podcasts ago and what's happening with Batman seeming to be isolated from the events of Detective slash other titles. Apart from the Catwoman reference to helping Bruce in Birds of Prey, it could be as Ed suggested at the time that we're not on the same earth. But then I got to thinking, and wasn't there a scene in, ish- in an issue of Batman at a burger restaurant between Batman and the boys referencing the death of Tim, which was an event that happened in Detective? If so, then would if so, then what would suggest that they are in the same Earth at the same time? I could be wildly wrong, but just wondering. As always, thanks for all you do. Every episode is a great listen. So. The answer to this is comics. Oh, yeah, that's the simple answer, and comics don't always make sense. But the the more elaborate answer is is simply this: like there was time, there was a time where we talked about there being you know Detective and Batman happening on separate separate Earths or separate timelines, and the reason we said that and we brought that up was this idea that Batman it wasn't referencing Detective and Detective wasn't referencing stuff that happened that was happening in Batman. Maybe at some point. 
that was the intent. <laughs> and let's not even get into yeah, metal. Exactly. And metal. And then eventually with what's happening now in Justice League. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> the, the thing is this, you know, when it comes to the comics, I, when we talked about the idea of different timelines, it was something that was completely feasible, except for two big things, that bat burger moment. And there was also a moment in night of the monster, uh, where they had them referencing the death of Tim Drake. Um, and then that, that, that was a crossover between Batman detective and Nightwing. Um, so it kind of, that, that crossover alone kind of put a wrench in the idea of different timelines. And that was obviously very early on in the series. So it wasn't as if, it was something that, like the timeline thing, it really comes down to this. When you look at issues that released during the New 52, Detective and Batman were releasing at the same time, rarely ever referenced each other initially. Later on down the line, they started referencing each other, especially when we got to like Super Heavy and things like that. I feel like that was probably the same exact thing that was going on this time around. Um, as much as Scott Snyder had said during the New 52 that he talked to a lot of the other writers that were working on the other Bat books, and every time there was a crossover that just happened to be connected to a Scott Snyder event, all these other writers were like, oh, I'm so wanting to have my book interact with your book because it's so cool. Um, really, they were doing it because they knew they would boost some sales for their book for that specific month because that's how it works. Um, rarely was there ever any books during the New 52 that were actually interacting with each other and during Rebirth, initially in the beginning, there were also very few books that were doing that as well. You had Batgirl and Batgirl and Birds of Prey happening at the same time, but had nothing to do with each other and making no sense. Batgirl's in Asia at the beginning of Batgirl, but over in Batgirl and Birds of Prey, she's teaming up with characters in Gotham City. So the thing is, when you look at the the editorial necessitate the necessities the the necessary means of an editor on a book or especially on a group of books, part of it was that there was two different editors on the groups of the, ba the, 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 the Batman group of books. Um, in the very beginning, Mark Doyle, as well as um, who was on Detective, uh, Chris Conroy, um, those two were on, one was on Batman, one was on Detective. Eventually, Jamie Rich replaced Mark Doyle on Batman, but ultimately, you had two different editors on books, and that's why they weren't interacting with each other. And it's just because that's, that's for whatever reason, somebody higher than those editors thought that that was a great idea. Probably, well, I know well, it's, I know it's double shipping, double but shipping. they're all coming out on separate weeks. And I hate to say this, but editors can, there's no reason an editor can't edit four books per month when it deals with the same character. It's just, it's, I don't know. Not with well, what they're paying them. That's, that's also debatable. Um, I, I, I don't, they're I don't know how much they're making. Enough. I don't, I don't have any idea, but I can honestly say that as, as a person who takes high regard into the importance of continuity, when you look at certain books that were done by a specific editor compared to the other group of books that were happened to be done by a different editor, you can clearly see the differences of the importance of continuity. And when you have the characters appearing in both sets of books, that's a big problem, and that's something that DC should have taken in consideration when divvying up this stuff. You had basically two Batgirl books, two Batman books, and then you have a, a slew of other books as well. But you have these two books, these two different groups of books that are being edited by different people. It just 
not a smart idea, but yes, um, ultimately different timelines, not feasible anymore. So it's not something that, you know, I'm going to try to push, especially when you get something like this James Robinson story arc, which is going out of its way to reference other stuff that's happened in Batman because he wants to make sure that everyone knows that this is taking place now and not just a inventory story. So wasn't Tom King also said that he didn't want to touch Tim because reasons and he didn't want to like even mention, I don't know. It was like Tim didn't exist except for that one scene. Um, All right. So then moving into episode 259, we've got two quick comments. The first one comes from Paperback Paperback Junkie. Junkie says, if I were to kill someone in the Batman, in the Batfam, and have them really be dead, it would have to be someone that would change things if they were to go. With that said, I think I'd kill Alfred. By the way, how the hell does Didio not have a problem with Alfred's age, but has one with the young sidekicks? But yeah, kill Alfred and make it mean something. Here's the thing. I'm not necessarily opposed to the idea of killing Alfred if it does mean something. Um, Alfred has died in other versions of other stories. Like, he's died in the Injustice stuff. He's died in the Batman Beyond stuff. There's no reason he can't die, but it does need to mean something. It needs to be permanent. Not that I want Alfred to die by any means, but there's the problem is that DC feels so against the idea of like changing status quo long term. You know, they have no problem killing somebody off, but they want you to know that the character is going to come back in a year, you know, when they kill him. And the problem is like, I don't want characters to die because especially characters that have a fan base because it's not, it's not necessarily fair to them. But there are certain characters out there where they probably don't have a huge fan base, or at least DC is fully aware of which characters do have a large enough fan base to warrant whether or not a character should die or not. Um, Alfred is not a character that screams this character has a giant fan base, but it would mean an enormous thing to Batman and his emotional reaction. And honestly, there's something... I know that in uh, coming up in... The books, something's going to happen to Alfred, but he's not dying. He's just, he's going to be attacked. So, spoilers. But yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> and then from uh, Green Lantern HG via Twitter, great episode, episode, guys. Caught it a little late, but maybe I should say angry episode. Then again, with everything that's been happening, I can't blame you. I still can't wrap my head around Dick getting shot in the head. Yeah. Like I said, it was an angry episode and, uh, it is what it is. Every once in a while, we've got to get upset <laughs> about something. Okay, so that is all of our comments over on the site and from Twitter and emails and everything. Those That gets us completely caught up. Um, we are going to hold off our monkey watch, which we hinted at last time, for the next time around. So if you have any uh, comments you'd like us to talk about on the next episode, be sure to leave your comments over on the site or email us at tbu at thebatmanverse.net. And we will be sure to get to those comments on the next episode. Outside of that, be sure to head over to the website for all this news and uh, comic reviews related to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and, of course, the comics. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts we have to offer. There's new episodes of Backworld Oracle, Bat Books for Beginners, uh, Bat Fans, Robin Everyone Loves a Drake. There's all kinds of new stuff, so check it out over on the site all the time. Be sure to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter for all these news and videos from the Batman Universe. And then uh, be sure to join our Discord. If you are unfamiliar with Discord, Discord is basically a massive chat room um, that's online, constantly updating. It's kind of like forums and chat room had a baby. I think I said that before, but 
Um, the idea is that there's constantly conversations going on. You can pop on. It's an app that also you can have on your phone um, and get updates as it's as uh, people are talking about stuff. You can join in conversations. So if you haven't joined, please do join because it's an awesome place to interact with us, the staff of the, the, the podcast, staff from the site, um, other comic book reviewers, as well as uh, fans of the show and the site as well. So be sure to do that as well. Um, with that, that is everything for this episode. For Ian and Steph, I'm Dustin, and this has been the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in two weeks. Mm-hmm.